everybody. Good morning. Hey, uh, just one more thing I want to give you an announcement about. Uh, we have an All of Life book club. So once every quarter, every once every three months, we there's an opportunity. It's kind of an open invitation to read a book together. And then we get together one night. It's like a two or three hour, just like conversing. How, what is this stirred in you? What have you learned? So the book that we're doing this quarter is on the back table. It's red. They're 15 bucks. You can grab one and stick a check in the giving box or you can buy it you know, at, on your own. But it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's by a teacher named John Mark Comer over in Oregon. Uh, my wife, Whitney, and I actually read this book about a year ago. Um, phenomenal teaching, phenomenal teacher. Um, and if your life feels hurried or overly busy, and you'd like a biblical approach for eliminating hurry and experiencing rest and delight in the Lord, um, it's great. And I'm not only am I excited for like us to read it, but for us to get together and kind of d dialogue it in our book club. So um, those are back there. More information will go out about when we're gonna gather, but if you're interested, grab that book, okay? Um, all right, so as we start, uh, we are looking at the fifth beatitude, which is blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Uh, so we are in the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes are the introduction to Jesus's teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And so what we are doing today is we're using uh, this as an introduction to mercy. Um, mercy is all throughout the book of Matthew. Jesus talks about it. Jesus explains it. Jesus lives it. And so we're gonna bump into mercy lots and lots over the next couple months. But for today, we're really just looking at an introduction to mercy. And then we're gonna plumb the depths of that concept more in coming weeks. So <clears throat> um, Beatitudes, uh, like I said, they are an introduction. So we're being introduced to mercy. Uh, but something I wanna point out with the Beatitudes is all of them have a vertical relationship component, a vertical relationship between us and God, right? Think of um, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who before God are aware of their spiritual need. Blessed are those who mourn, those who before God trust him, mourn with him, receive his comfort. Blessed are the meek, those who are humble and made little and gentle and capable of kindness, right? Blessed are those who hunger, they desire the things of God. It's all this vertical relationship. And the first four Beatitudes are sometimes called the emptying Beatitudes because it's about emptying ourselves in order to be filled by him. But then the Beatitudes also have horizontal components. And we start to see that really come to the surface with blessed are the merciful. Mercy is all about our horizontal relationships, our human on human relationships. And so we see the, the first four um, begin to change us. And then the fifth begins to flow outwards. Um, and that, that vertical horizontal, I've got a, a slide here on the screen just to show us that in a simple way. And you'll notice that um, in the middle is this like tangled knot and that, that kind of represents our inner being. And so as much as um, our, our inner lives are shaped by our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God and our relationship with him then overflows to our relationship both with our allies, those who we love naturally and easily, and then also our enemies, those who we have reason to hate. So there's a logical order as Jesus presents the Beatitudes. Jesus is an intentional teacher. He's not spouting off random virtues. He's teaching us in a logical order. And so he's saying the presence of the first four, humble before God, made gentle and lowly before him, desiring the things of God, they result in and they lead to the growth of mercy, the fifth beatitude. And so 
Um, what we're gonna start with is we're just gonna think of what is mercy, right? Mercy is a common word. All of us have used it, we hear it, and we have a, a, a quick idea of what it means. Uh, I've realized, honestly, I know what mercy means, but I've never really questioned it deeply. And so in a, a simple way, I just want us to have some shared understanding. Let's just ask, what is mercy? So in, in a simple sentence, mercy is compassion and forgiveness towards those in the wrong. It's compassion and forgiveness towards those in the wrong. So mercy is forgiving those that deserve punishment. So you'll notice that in here, there's like legal language, there's wrong, punishment. Like there's, there's something going on here. And that's because mercy is the sister of justice. You can't have mercy unless you have a, a dividing line between right and wrong, justice and injustice. So when wrong is done, there's a natural consequence. There's also a legal consequence. And so mercy is about seeing others who are suffering the consequence of their sin or the sin of others and it intervenes. So justice is all about handing out the fair and the good consequence. You've done something wrong. Now there's a consequence that is fair and good. Mercy, not, um, mercy does not say that's wrong, but what mercy does is it says, I see you in your misery, suffering the consequence of your wrong. And now I'm gonna intercede with compassion and with forgiveness. So um, grace and, uh, so we have uh, mercy and justice as kind of these sister words, but we also have the word grace, right? Grace pops up in scripture a lot. We use it as Christians, grace and mercy. And those things are often intertwined, but they're not interchangeable. So they're kind of parallel words, but they both are distinct. So uh, mercy is about removing consequence right? through forgiveness, right? removes the consequence. Grace is about despite sin, it gives blessing. So mercy removes the consequence of sin. Grace, despite that sin, gives blessing. A quick uh, just story to understand that. So imagine I am driving down the highway, right? Highway 41, and there's a stoplight. And as I'm approaching it, it turns yellow. And I think, well, if I just kind of speed up a little bit, like I can squeeze through that, that stoplight. Uh, so I do so, um, but the, red, the light turns red. I'm too late, I've already committed to this. So I am in the intersection. Unfortunately, the light has turned green for the next person. And so I now T-bone somebody, right? I have broken the law. The law was in place to make sure that drivers were safe, and respectful, the human on human relationships were going well and were flourishing. I have broken that law. And the consequence of that is I have now ruined this other person's car and I have ruined my car. Everyone's safe though. <laughs> We're just talking about cars. But their car is damaged and my car is damaged. So there's a natural consequence of the law being broken. But not only is there a natural consequence, there's a legal consequence. I now owe this person a new car. I have done wrong. I have broken the law and the just, the good, the fair thing, all of us would agree, I owe that person repair of their vehicle, right? So that is justice in that situation. Now, in this context, the person who has been hit has the opportunity to look at me and say, Trevor, you've damaged my car, you've damaged your car. Those are the consequences of your sin. You also owe me legally repairs. 
I see you in the consequence of your sin. I see the misery that you have created by breaking the law and I have compassion on you. So I'm gonna forgive you the debt. You don't, need to pay, you don't need to buy me a new car. You don't need to pay to repair it. I'll take care of it. I forgive you. You have mercy. Grace goes a step further. Grace says, you no longer owe me a new car, but not only that, I actually wanna buy you a car. You just hit me. The consequence of that is my car's damaged, your car's damaged. And now I wanna not only forgive your debt, I wanna give you a new car. That is mercy and grace. So where mercy, or because of compassion, we respond with mercy. Because, or despite sin, we respond with grace or with blessing. So this ultimately is, this is the message of the Bible. This sounds familiar to us. And now sometimes our lives look like we've been driving in the demolition derby. Um, (laughs) But God, the story of scripture is that God not only has mercy to forgive, but he has grace to restore, right? That is the story of scripture. And so where we're going today, as we're looking at blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We're gonna use two stories told by Jesus, okay? So the first one is we're gonna look at Matthew chapter 18, uh, and it's called the story of the unforgiving debtor. And then we're also looking at the story of the sower or the farmer in Matthew 13. And so if you are familiar with these, great. You'll kind of bring some natural understanding. If you've never read those stories, that's fine. They're they're pretty simple. um, And I think you'll naturally begin to understand the meaning of them as we go through. But my hope today is to show you that these, these two stories, they feel very disconnected, but they're actually really intricately interwoven Um, And the reason for this is the more, I see this because the more that we spend time in Matthew, the more I see the genius of Jesus as a teacher. The more I see the genius and the intentionality of what he was communicating. But not only that, I see Matthew, the author, his friend, the genius of Matthew as a writer to capture those teachings and present them to us where they're still relevant. So, before we, or while you're jump, or grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18, okay? Um, and while you're doing that, I just wanna point out something about the beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It feels like an if-then statement. If you are merciful, then you will receive mercy. Does anyone else kind of hear that in the undercurrents? Yeah, um, So another way of saying that is it feels like it's saying, if you are merciful, then you'll receive my mercy. Earn my mercy by being merciful. But I just wanna point out, that's not, it doesn't actually say that. It it says, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Doesn't say if you are merciful, then you will receive mercy. It doesn't say when you are merciful, because you are merciful. It's Jesus says, blessed are you. I give you my blessing. Those who are merciful will receive mercy. Now, the the story that I've chosen that I think demonstrates some of the nuance there is Matthew chapter 18. So let's read that, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 18 gives us the order of mercy in God's kingdom. And you'll see that here. So this is uh, 18 verse 21. Then Peter, one of Jesus' friends, came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times. Jesus replies, but 70 times seven. Then he continues, therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king, a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date 
with servants who had borrowed money from him. So just pause for a second. All that it's saying is Jesus is saying there was a king and he loaned money to his servants. His servants owed him money. The king has chosen to call those loans in, to call those accounts up to date. That's what's happening. Okay, we're back in here, verse 24. Um, in the process, one of the debtors, one of the servants was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. The servant couldn't pay, so his master ordered him to be sold. Notice he pays with his life. He pays his debt with his life, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will, I'll pay it all. And his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed the man by the throat and he demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little bit more time. Be patient with me, I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. But when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man that he had forgiven. And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And Jesus ends, he says, that is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, Jesus gives us this story because it cuts through all of the religious clutter. It cuts through all the self-justification, all our, our defensiveness, and it cuts immediately to our common sense. All of us feel in that story immediately how wrong the servant was. We immediately know, like we see his callousness, we see his selfishness, we see the injustice of it. But this story is, is about a lot more than be merciful or else. Be merciful or the king will get you. It appears that that's there, but I think there's a lot more to this. There's more present that Jesus is really trying to teach us. I think this story helps us understand the order of mercy, the flow of mercy, and how God intends for that mercy to transform us. Again, right, our vertical relationship with God, his mercy towards us transforms us and is meant to change our human on human relationships. So notice the first thing, the king, the start of the story, the king doesn't look at the servant with cold indifference and say, give him what he deserves. You want mercy? Sorry, you signed the loan. You knew the contract. You knew what you got yourself in for. Use his life to pay the debt. That would have been fair. That would have been just. That was the agreement. But that's not what he does. The king is filled with compassion. The king is filled with mercy and pity. And that motivates him toward forgiveness. And notice, not only does he let the servant go, he releases the servant from prison, he entirely forgives the debt. The debt is gone. Why? Why does the king do this? It's because the king is merciful. That's who he is. And the 
king's character is what drives this story. The king gives the gift of forgiveness and justification, which justification means being debt-free before the king. That servant can now stand in front of the king and say, I'm a free man. I owe nothing. And so this act of forgiveness, mercy given by the king is the seed of mercy. This is a seed of mercy that's given to the servant. And so there's like the order of this, right? First, number one, we see the order of mercy is that in God's kingdom, the king looks at us in our debt and he offers mercy and he offers justification, being able to stand in his presence debt-free. And we see that the king is moved by compassion in order to give that seed of mercy. Then what comes next in the order of mercy is our reception of the seed. What does mercy do in the soil of our hearts? So if that seed takes root, turns into trust and it turns into love for the king, then it sprouts and it blooms. And this is our vertical relationship, the vertical relationship changing our inner workings. And then the third thing, the kind of final order of mercy in the story is that seed sprouting or failing to sprout, but that seed sprouting into a mature plant that bears fruit. So this then, the third step is the transforming of our inner lives that works itself out outwards, both to our allies, those we love and our enemies, those who we have reason to hate. And so as we consider that, right, this, this vertical relationship, the seed of mercy from the king toward us, in order to understand that of like, how do we engage with that? How does that land in our hearts? Um, we're gonna look at um, Matthew chapter 13. But before we go there, I just wanna ask a question. Do you want the words of Jesus to change you? Do you desire to be changed by Jesus? For me, I do. I do want the words of Jesus to change me, but I'm also experiencing for the thousandth time that I don't make that easy and that I rarely pursue it. And Matthew chapter 13 tells us why. So would you turn there with me? We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 13, verses three through nine. Then we're gonna skip a little bit and we're gonna go to 18 through 23. So I'm gonna jump in here. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse three. Uh, he, Jesus, told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock and the seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under this hot sun because they did not have deep roots and they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then I'm gonna skip a middle part and we're gonna jump down to verse 18 where Jesus is explaining what he just said. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. 
The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message of the kingdom and don't understand it. And then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's words, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. And so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even a hundred times as much as had been planted. So what happened to the seed of mercy in the soil of the servant's heart? Whether it was eaten by birds, whether it withered for a lack of root, whether the servant like, was choked out by worries of this life or his lure of wealth, what we know in that servant is that the seed of mercy did not take root. When the servant was gifted mercy, he passed on legalism. When the servant was gifted forgiveness, he chose to see the other as being undeserving of forgiveness. And so when the story concludes and the king condemns the servant, he's right to do so, he's right to be angry, but there's also more than an if-then formula that has been failed to be met. The king did not say, if you had been merciful, I would have shown you mercy. The king showed mercy and expected the seed to be planted, expected the seed to make change. So what happened is the servant never really embraced mercy. That seed landed on the soil of the servant's heart and it never took root and it never bloomed into new life. So the servant, he enjoyed being let off. He took advantage of being forgiven but he never received, he never embraced that mercy and like letting it deep into the soil of his heart. And so it never sprouted new life. Now, if I um, personally like look at the garden or look at the soil of my own life, I, I realize like there's, it contains patches of different soils. And I can identify with all those different types. Some look good and receptive, like open to God's word, some are hard and God's seed like just sits on the surface. And, and I see like much of the good seed, even in Matthew, like the good news of God's word, it's landing in my life among the weeds, even now. I feel like very distinctly, like the cares and the distractions of my life are preventing good seeds from taking root and growing into maturity. So we as a church, we're using this language of abiding. We understand abiding as being with Christ, remaining in his love. And in, this, like in a view of this metaphor, abiding is spending time in the garden. Abiding is cultivating the soil of our lives to be receptive to the seed of mercy, to let it bloom into new life. Now, Cultivating the soil of our lives 
sounds really pleasant, right? It sounds very like ideal and, and enjoyable, but I wanna show you a, a photo on the screen. You guys see these? You recognize what they are? Uh, these are gardening tools, right? These are tools that are, are designed for the care and the cultivation of life and living things. But look at what they do. Each one is designed to cut, to gouge, to scrape, to rip, to tear, to dig. Cultivation involves breaking the earth. Cultivation means upturning the soil of our lives. It means breaking up the earth of our schedules, of our habits. It means pulling the weeds of worry and distraction, pulling the weeds of those things that feel most urgent so that the soil of our hearts is receptive. The seed of God's mercy doesn't sit on the surface waiting for a bird to eat it, but it takes root and blooms into new life inside of us. I realize for me, I am often not changed by Jesus's teaching because my spirit and my schedule are overly full. But not only in obligations, right? It's not just that I'm busy in obligations. What I realize is I use my margin, my in-between moments for entertainment, for comfort, and most distinctly as distraction from pain. And all of those things are acting as weeds. The soil is already full there's already unhealthy plants growing. And so when God's seed lands there, there's nowhere for it to bloom. Now, are, are any of those individual things wrong? Is entertainment, comfort, any of that wrong? No. Can they all be present in a vibrant relationship with Christ? Yes. But the reality for me is when I get up in the morning, I would rather read a novel for entertainment as a way of avoiding the things that are painful than actually spend time with God working in the garden, trusting him enough to mourn. So I have a question for us. And this, this question tells us the state of our soil. It tells you the state of your soil. It tells us if the seed is sprouting. It tells us if that seed is growing into maturity or is that seed sitting among weeds? Here's the question for all of us to ask ourselves, am I merciful? Am I patient? Do I forgive even when others do not deserve it? But there's another question that reveals the soil of our hearts. Do I need mercy? Because if we answer, I don't need mercy or I don't feel as though I need mercy, that's revealing that there's a hard soil of our hearts, that the seed of mercy is landing on dry ground and not taking root. Now, as we abide, as we spend time with Christ, as we remain in his love and we spend time in the garden, you spend time in the garden in multiple ways. You work and you rest in the garden. And so as I ask myself the question, am I merciful? Do I need mercy? I see hard soil in my life. But I also see by God's grace, he has his hands cupped around this seed in the acidic soil of my heart. 
and he is protecting this seed and he's maintaining its life and he's nurturing it. Despite all the things present in my heart and my life that would choke it out, he maintains it and he causes it to grow and he protects me through it. And I believe he's asking me to work in the garden with him, to break up the hard soil, to pull the weeds so this seed of new life has more room to bloom and to grow. Just this past Thursday, I had a friend whose car broke down on the edge of the highway. And so he called me, I went and I picked him up, waited for the tow truck, got him lunch, took him home. And by the time I got back, it had taken six six hours of my workday. And I got home and I was frustrated because I knew now my weekend was gonna become a work weekend. I no longer have time to myself, time to rest. And I found myself thinking when I got home, it would have been more worth it if he was more grateful. Like that is the hard soil of my life that the seed of mercy is sitting on. And God is saying, work with me, break up the soil, let that take root and bear good fruit. But we don't just um, work in the garden, right? You do work in the garden, especially at the beginning of the season. But once you're done, um, like, yes, there's ongoing weeding. You gotta pull some weeds, you gotta prune some things. But how do you make a seed grow? You sit down. The seed grows of its own accord when it's in good soil. Like the seed grows and you rest. All you do is you rest. And and if you are a gardener, you know, like there's extreme joy in working in the garden, yes, but also resting in the garden. You walk the paths, you see the new life budding and sprouting. And so this is abiding, working in the garden, tilling the soil, pulling the weeds, yes. But it's also resting. It's looking at the new life that is blooming and growing. It's walking the paths of our lives with God, watching new fruit and new plants grow into maturity. It's taking delight that he gives the seed in the first place and that he creates its new life. And I also see this, right? As I rest, as I rest with him and I reflect on my life, it's not all condemnation. Um, He's looking at me saying, there's hard soil. I invite you to till it up, change it but also look at all the good, the new life I've given you. Like I see for me, like a growing ability to take hits, a growing ability to get hurt and know that the person who's hurting me, the person who deserves my anger, like this is an opportunity for the seed of mercy to grow into maturity and bear fruit. Now, obviously small injustices are easier to be merciful towards. Small injustices are easier to forgive, right? But we also experience big things, big injustices, and big injustices need big mercy. And it's a whole lot harder for that. So maybe for you, uh, when you have a big injustice, um, you come out with big anger. And maybe anger is, is hot and it's red in the face. For a long time, I thought that being merciful meant not being angry. And so when people would have an injustice against me, I wouldn't get big and I wouldn't get red. And I thought that was me being merciful. But what I've come to realize is that um, what my heart did is it was just as angry, but instead of being loud and hot, it was cold and passive. And so my anger at injustice turned into apathy and it turned into contempt. So I wouldn't fight, I wouldn't fight and get big but I would really quickly emotionally say, I don't really care anymore. 
I'm out. Do whatever you want. And that for me was anger. So maybe for you, it's big, it's red. Maybe it's contempt and it's subtle and it looks controlled, but those are both two sides of being unmerciful or unforgiving. Now, um, as we are weathering, or excuse me, I wanna point out that the more we tend to the growth of mercy, the more we tend to the growth of mercy in our lives, the more capable of giving mercy we'll be, right? The more we give mercy in the small things, the more ready and capable we'll be for giving mercy in the big things, the big injustices. And it's likely that you are in right now or have been in or will be in a situation where you are not capable of giving mercy. The injustice is too big. And you look at this and it seems overwhelming. And I want you to know, like whether it's in the past or right now, or it's in the future, God is walking with you. He has his hands cupped around that seed of new life in you. He's protecting it. He's nurturing it. And through the thing that you're weathering, he's helping that seed bloom into maturity, more and more capable of extending forgiveness and mercy, even to those who deserve anger. I also wanna remind us that as, as you're weathering those things, as you're weathering this process of not being merciful enough and desiring mercy and, and all this mix of anger, as you're weathering all of those things, struggling to be merciful, I want us to remember that nothing in the Beatitudes justifies us before God. It is not, if you are merciful, then you will receive mercy. Instead, it is the mercy of God extended to us, that is the gift of the king that justifies us. He's the one who wipes away the debt, says you can stand before me debt free. So the seed of mercy comes from the sower. It comes from the king. And all we can do is ask Jesus, the master gardener, to help make that seed take root land in good soil, cultivate that soil with us for that to grow into maturity. And as we consider this, we, we see that this, the life of Christ is a thing that shows us that we were in debt in the first place. And it shows us how God chose to respond. The fact that Jesus came shows us that there was a debt that was existent and it also shows us how he responds to us. Now we do need mercy, right? The life of Christ shows us that. Now, a, a quote that I've chosen that like just puts some sting to this is by Joseph Elene. Uh, he was an English writer um, and I believe he was a chaplain in the 1600s. And he wrote a small book called Alarm to Unconverted Sinners. And his whole purpose was that is he wanted to create alarm for people who were unrepentant, unaware of their sinfulness. And he wanted to kind of grab people by the scruff and show them their state and offer repentance and forgiveness. And he, he has this paragraph. If inanimate creatures could but speak, your food would say, Lord, must I nourish such a wretch as this and give forth my strength for him to dishonor you. The very air would say, Lord, must I give this man breath 
so he can speak against heaven, scorn earth or scorn your people, vent his pride and anger and filthy language, utter oaths and blasphemy against you. His poor animal, his horse or his donkey would say, Lord, must I carry him upon his wicked plans? A wicked man, the earth groans under him and hell groans for him till death satisfies both. And to this like shocking paragraph, the only dissenting argument I can come up with is it's not that bad. We begin to see that all of creation is under the thumb of sin. Everyone, all of us, we're looking for satisfaction and we're chasing it in ways that are either self-destructive or other destructive. But we also see that above all of that, above all of our mess is the currents of love from God. The fact that he values us. Even in our mess, he values us. He has sympathy. He looks at us in the consequence of our sin and he has sympathy. He sees the pain that we create in us, the pain we create around us. And his love, it turns to compassion. It turns to patience. It turns to forgiveness. But most importantly, his love turns to action love-driven, passion-filled action because he comes, God in flesh comes on a rescue mission. This is the story of Matthew, the rescue mission of God, where he comes himself through his son and he names him Jesus, which translates to God saves. In Jesus, God saves, he brings good news to the poor, he frees the captive and the spiritually oppressed, he gives sight to the blind, he heals the sick, he forgives those who are unforgivable. He loves those who are unlovable and he gives mercy to those that don't deserve it. Why? Why does he do any of that? Is it because they deserve it? It's because we deserve it. Titus 3 verses four and five says this, when Jesus, the embodiment of the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, not because you were merciful and therefore I gave you mercy, but because of his mercy. The king's character drives the story. The first order of mercy is that the king is merciful and he gives the seeds of mercy that bloom into new life. Now we also see in this story, the story of Christ, the, the king takes the debt. So in the, the, the story of the debtor, right, the king gives forgiveness of the debt, but that debt doesn't disappear. The loss of that loan the king absorbs. The king says, in forgiving you the money you owe me, I will handle the debt. And in terms of our sin and our lives, we see that the cost of our sin, the debt of our sin is our life. The wages of sin is death. Luke chapter 23 says this, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed Christ to the cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. This is Christ. This is the king saying the debt you owe me is a death. You owe me death. And he takes on the death that we deserve even in the moment that men are gambling over his clothing. The men who are murdering him are gambling over his clothing and he says, Father, forgive them because the king is merciful. And even in that moment, he extends mercy. And this is the thing, this is what makes mercy beautiful. It's what makes mercy lovely is it costs. And in the case of Christ, the cost is counted, the wrong is weighed, and the king chooses mercy. He chooses forgiveness, all at the cost of himself. Do you want the words of Jesus to change you? You desire to be changed by him. Change occurs through abiding. The context of this story means working in the garden, cultivating the soil, digging up the habits and the schedules and the ways of thinking, pulling the weeds of distraction. But it's doing so with the master gardener, knowing that all the while you're working, he's working side by side. He's working with you And more importantly, he has already died for you. So as we work with him, we know he is with us and he is for us. And as he is the one who guides our hand and protects the seed of new life amidst the acidic soil of your heart, we also get the chance to rest. We get to walk in the garden, to look at new life as it sprouts, to sit and enjoy the growth of new maturity. Would you pray with me? Father, Jesus, you are lovely. Father, there is nothing more beautiful than a friend who says, I see you in your wrong. I see you in the mess you're in. And I will give up of myself in order to meet you. I'll give up of myself in order to rescue you. Father, I do not deserve your mercy. Even today, I fail you. And yet you look at me and the first act of mercy is that you give it. You say, you don't deserve it, but you are my son. Welcome to my family. Here is new life that I plant in you. I will nurture it. I will protect it. I will grow it into maturity. Father, you're lovely. Would you help us break up the soil of our hearts, break up the hard places, pull the weeds of distraction, to give us ways to do that with you all while we trust you and rest with you. God, I love you. We love you. Amen. Church, this is my chance to bless you and send you. And so to help with that, I want to give us three small things that will help us as we are becoming merciful. The first is that sinners around you are just as much under the thumb of sin as you are, under the effect of it. Amen? This creates compassion. It creates understanding. When we see others in that light, 
We have compassion rather than condemnation, knowing they're people that need mercy. We identify with them. We resonate with them in many ways, even the most heinous of sinners. Now, this is especially helpful for you as it relates to parents, as it relates to mentors, as it relates to pastors. Those who should be better than you, those who have let you down, are sinners just as much under the thumb of sin in need of mercy as you are. Second thing is you will desire justice, and that is good. God has gifted that to you. Know that mercy is not apathy. Mercy is not indifference. Mercy is not letting people off the hook. All injustice is and will be paid for, 100%. Either in the righteous, in the good punishment of those who are unrepentant, or it will be paid full by Christ, the king who says, I take on their debt. I will pay for it. So all injustice is paid for. You're not letting anyone off. You're not foregoing justice. It is and it will be paid for. So mercy is trusting the judge of creation to measure out judgment. Third, when the word merciful is unhelpful, use patience, forgiveness, charity, and lastly, constructive conflict. Because again, mercy is not apathy. Mercy means you get after it. You get into the conflict, but it means you lead with forgiveness and you lead with compassion. With that church, you are blessed. You are becoming merciful. You have the mercy of Christ in you. I hope you have a great Sunday.